podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of Two Slips in a Gully. Um, this is our 63rd episode and as we said in our last one, this one was going to be a special one and I'm sure for those of you out there who are as cricket tragics as we are, you know that this one is going to be about, of course, Phil Hughes in 63 in honour of his 63 not out that he scored in his final first class innings. I'm joined by Glenn this afternoon. How are you, Glenn? Hello. I'm good. I'm good. Gathered around the uh, microphone. Oh, it's just like old times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Classic. No Gary this week. He's uh, under the weather, unfortunately. He's uh, And with my uh, newborn, didn't want to come anywhere near the place to make us sick. So we are soldiering on alone. So yes, this episode is going to be um, very much a Phil Hughes-themed episode. Mm. Uh, talk about, um, obviously, what a, a wonderful young talent and what a wonderful young person Phil yep. Hughes was and how he, how much he meant to not only the Australian cricket team, but um, the Australian public and, and the cricket world at large as well. They were all um, shocked and just grieved Phil's passing quite a lot. So it certainly wasn't just... Uh, a tragedy that was reserved for um, cricket fans. It was one that was felt all across the globe. So we're going to have a chat about that. And we uh, have some news regarding the uh, World Test Championship. So we'll briefly talk about that before getting the Phil Hughes stuff. And then I think that's going to be our episode. Yeah. Um, That sounds good. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. All the fun stuff and the not-so-fun stuff coming up straight after this. News coming out of Cricket Australia over the last couple of days has been um, on the back of overwhelming medical advice. Cricket Australia has decided to not tour South Africa, which is massively disappointing because I'm always yeah. a big fan of our South African tours. The last one, obviously, maybe a little bit of an exception. That wasn't very good for us, but no. <laughs> overall... Usually we do all right over there. Um, and they're always great contests, um, mm. and I really feel for the uh, the South Africans because uh, from all things coming out about this is they went above and beyond to try and get this to happen. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's major concerns. There's the South African variant of the um, COVID nineteen virus, which is playing havoc, which is why no one's super keen to go over. But they did just host Sri Lanka over there without any issues. They are currently hosting the Pakistan women's side, and I believe they're running their domestic competition all in biosecure environments, which have gone off without a hitch so far. So it is a little disappointing um, that this tour hasn't gone ahead, but you can't really did, hold did it, it against... Did it come above their head, do you know, or does it, is it just CA? Uh, as far as I'm aware, Cricket Australia are the ones that eventually pulled the pin. Yeah. Um, uh, and you can understand why they're you know up until very recently they were getting you know up nearly ten thousand cases a day over there. I think it's dropped off now. It's somewhere around about sort of you know, a couple of thousand new cases every day. But they have proven that they um, can host 
teams in a secure environment and there's no risk to those teams. But at the end of the day, it's the players' health and safety. So you can understand Cricket Australia taking a, a safety-first approach. The cynic in me wants to say that if this was India that we were about to go and tour, would we have pulled the pin Instead of South Africa, which I... There's not I, a lot of money in a South uh, African tour, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we would have... Because um, it was right at the 11th hour. It was one of the big complaints Graham Smith had um, that the, the, the tour was pulled. And, you know, great expense and lots of scheduling around the current Pakistan tour they're on were impacted by Australia, the planning for Australia to be out playing test cricket so they've done everything that they can within their power to make it happen then for Australia to pull out to right at the last minute I'm sure is very disappointing but I just the the cynic in me says that if it was the if we were trying to plan a tour to India and and this happened we would we would be going I don't think we'd be pulling out of that so no doubt um, but yes it is what it is and this has had vast dramatic repercussions on the world test championship Yes. So <laughs> it's been getting a bashing over the uh, Facebook forums that I've been there. Uh, we um, we needed to win by two games, so either three one or sorry three nil, two nil, anything like that. Yeah. And it didn't matter what happened, we made the final. Uh, as it stands now. Australia can still make the final, but all the Australian cricket fans out there, I'm sorry to tell you, but we have to support the Poms. Or the rain. Or the rain (laughs) for the next couple of weeks. For Australia to qualify, the uh, India-England series needs to be India 1-0, England 1-0, England 2-0, England 2-1, or a drawn series. So Mm. nil all, 1-1, 2-2. Any of those, and we will qualify. New Zealand have already made it through automatically. Uh, India will qualify if they win the series uh, any more than 1-0. So 2-0, 2-1, 3-1, 3-0, 4-0. And England will qualify if they win the series... What a twist in the tail. 3-0, 3 3-1 or 4-0. we now have to support England. I know. All our hopes are on the shoulders of Jack Leach, Leach and John Don Best rolling on, on Dust Bowl. Well, Joe Root's just gone and plundered a couple of double hundreds, so uh, well, know, yeah, he's in a bit he, of form. He is in form. Like, he's getting his way back into that conversation, isn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say that he's now at the top. I, I know some English supporters have been throwing their mouth off about how well he's going. And, and you know, and Jimmy Anderson is bowling a lot better overseas now. So I can't um, imagine he plays all four tests. No. Uh, it'd have to be a horses for courses thing. No. Um, yeah, but, but that's it, Aussies. That's what we need to do for the next couple of weeks. We, uh, we we'll support England. We'll support England. Get out your scarf <laughs> and your, I don't know, what other England paraphernalia do you have? Warm the beer up. Stop brushing your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Go to a beach with rocks on it. <laughs> if you can find one. Here. All of <laughs> all of that fun stuff. We're uh, we're we're poms for a month or so, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be an exciting series. England uh, are looking like they're in a bit of form. Stop stealing stuff. Um, and, and India, <laughs> India, of course, coming off a massive series win against us with with arguably their their B, maybe even their C team. So they're going to have some some troops coming back. They're going to be playing in home conditions. Um, they're going to be a very very tough tough challenge for for England. Um, 
I think, honestly, my my brain says that Australia is probably going to have to wait until the next World Test Championship to qualify. Mm, yeah. I think a drawn series is probably going to be a bridge too but, far. But what, but it, what this all means is that New Zealand are, are through. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. New Zealand are automatically through because yeah. of that. Uh, yeah, largely because of those four points that we lost. Yes, um, that's another big thing. Thank you, Booney, for docking us World Test Championship well, points for the sake of two overs. Well, we lost four points for two overs. Four points, two overs. Yeah. Well, it should be two two points, two overs. Would that help us? I, I think it should be like, if, like two overs is nothing. I don't think there should be a points penalty unless you're missing by, you know, let's say an arbitrary number, you're missing by five or something like that. But like two overs is yeah, nothing. I mean, they, that's six minutes. They do. They do stuff around now. Like, like, how often do you really need to change your gloves? Honestly, like, uh, anyway, but yes. We've been we've been made an example of, I feel. Yeah, so um, it'd be um, a really, really kind of... I thought at the moment... Well, when that, that punishment came out, I thought that's a pretty harsh punishment. World Test Championship points for, for two overs, considering that the, 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 the severity of the fees, the fines that they gave the, the players as well. Yeah. And uh, it's only now that the, the true severity of those points has actually reared its head so uh yeah i mean i've I've seen a few discussions and the world test championship has been kind of thrown into disarray by the whole pandemic uh it's a little bit difficult but i think you know new zealand are through and uh their away record is that they lost three three tests three nil here and one in sri lanka and one all, yeah, it was one all in, in Sri Lanka. And that's the only away test that they've had to play. So I, th- I think that gives kind of credence to our idea, I think, that we, we we first discussed about the world test, that away wins should be worth more. And I, I think I think you can agree that, uh, you know... Well, at the moment, so the thing that's helped New Zealand out, we've spoken about this way back in the beginning when this came out. So yeah. um, New Zealand played a two-test series against Sri Lanka and they got out of it 1-0 and they were already ahead of England and Australia who'd played a five-test series and had two yeah. wins and a draw each. Mm. But uh, New Zealand, on the back of winning one test, was ahead in the World Championship. And they've played a number of two-test series and those two-test uh, series, are the, the individual matches are weighted more uh, which you yeah, know, yeah, seeing well, how you see, look at it, that's the a whole bit... point of the whole point of having a world test championship is to take out the dead dead rubber, right? Yeah. So like every test actually means something, but then when you when you go and do that and have that kind of like scaled, uh, I suppose points, it's on the flip side for not many nations are outside of. I don't think any. Maybe England and India. Yeah. Occasionally, not many nations play very long series. So India will play four ones, and then we'll play obviously five against yeah. against England. But I don't think we really play anyone else in a long series. So it was to try and combat. Well, if England and Australia and India are playing, you know, ten times or you know, ten extra matches because their series are always longer. Yeah. Um, it was to make things fair and I to think- try and look after the the, the sort of lower ranked nations that are only playing those short series but yeah. I think in, in this case that uh, might be a little too much I mean they played a two test series against Sri Lanka and they played a two test series against England 
um, you know, and they've really reaped the benefits out of having those those yeah those bulk points <laughs> in you know those yeah, short game well, short I'm, series. I have a feeling that the New Zealanders will just take it and just be like, well. Yeah. We we got gypped a World Cup exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. Um, and by no means are we suggesting that New Zealand aren't aren't deserving of being there. Outside, are, are really, they really the best Test nation right now, though. Well, outside of the series against us, New Zealand has played some really good cricket. Yeah, but that so that's only. But one I didn't watch those. <laughs> All I saw was like the three nil series, which, Unfortunately, were, which they were really. Our podcast isn't there. that powerful yet that we <laughs> that our opinion has that much sway. I wasn't watching so it doesn't count um, um, but no so uh, credit to New Zealand I think it's a fantastic moment for them as a cricket nation uh, they've achieved the ICC number one test rankings and now the first team through to the inaugural World Test Championship is a bit of a bitter, sw- bitter pill to swallow for Australian fans but uh, well, we might be there we might who be knows? there who knows well I've always supported England and yeah. ask anyone yeah we never stop believing <laughs> never stop believing <laughs> <laughs> And here we are now coming to the main crux of our episode, and that is, of course, to talk about and celebrate and commemorate Phil Hughes. Number 408. Youngest hundred or well, centurion for Australia since Doug Walters in 1965. He is the only Australian to score 100 on debut in ODI cricket. Uh, the only one. Only one. There hasn't been another Australian player to score 100 no, on debut. I suppose, debut. yeah, your one-day 100s are a bit rarer. You, you usually have to be opening or batting at three mm. or scoring at a really good rate. So, yeah, he just, just a phenomenal young batsman. Um, uh, sure, those of you who know the story, so he was young man. He got brought into the side, uh, you know, as all young players do and Everly have a little bit of problems here and there. Back out of the side, and then unfortunately, on uh, I think it was the 25th of November 2014, in a Shield game playing for South Australia against New South Wales, Phil Hughes was struck on the back of the head by a short ball from Sean Abbott. Uh, unfortunately, um, was taken to hospital at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney, where he was uh, in a coma, and then unfortunately, due to uh, a vertebral artery dissection, which led to a subarachnoid hemorrhage, passed away. And this was staggeringly rare. Uh, doctors at the time said that there were only 100 reported cases of such an injury. So it was an absolute freak accident mm. of an occurrence. And unfortunately, Australia and, and the world were robbed of an incredible Just young talent. The social impact of it was, was massive, I remember. Um because, I mean, you rarely hear of anyone seriously getting hurt in any form of cricket. I mean, Especially at that level. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, busted you know, ribs, you know, you know, doing yeah. a knee in the outfield. Like some things that might impact their ability to, to play the game for a long period of time, but never anything that's yeah. and this really was, crippling. This was to someone who we all knew and... We're all a little bit invested in his career, let's face it. You know, you make your debut at uh, 20 uh, for Australia and, and a young person. People are going to be on your side, especially uh, people from New South Wales if you're, you're from that state. And, and there was a case that you could probably argue that he's the 
the early years of his career were probably a bit mismanaged. So he yeah. had that sort of quarter public opinion on his side that you know he was in and out of the side and people were questioning why he was really out of the side. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, his first-class stats, um, they're like a long way ahead of, of probably anyone at that point. Well, it's funny to say it. So bring that up. So his first-class stats, he's played 114 games. He's got an average of 46.5, top score of 243, uh, 2,600s. 2600s and 4650s. The guy was, was 25 years old. He was he still a young man. Had yeah. 26 first class hundreds to his name. Now, I know that I am not a big fan of Sean Marsh. It's come up quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, but in this case, I'm actually using this comparison because Sean Marsh is actually a very good first class player. He's never quite got, quite got the job done at test level, but. We consider he's been, him. He's, he's, he's been, kind of accepted as yeah, a, a yeah upper echelon elite talent of first class cricket for quite a while for Australia. You know, a lot of his callbacks to the Australian side have been on the weight of quite a lot of runs. Sean Marsh's first class stats currently read 163 matches, high score of 214, an average of 41 and a half, 2800s and 5250s. And then Sean Marsh is 37 years old. He's 12 years older than Phil Hughes was when he passed away. He's played yeah. over or nearly 50 more matches, and Phil Hughes only has two less first-class hundreds than him. And this is a guy that is is one of the, the, the great shield players for Australia in recent history. Yeah, like one of the ones who, you know, Lehman style or Martin Love kind of style who... Just really constantly just churn churning out, out runs. good seasons. And, and that's why he ends up getting called back into the Australian side so often and unfortunately has never really turned that into a promising career. But there's no doubting his ability at first-class level. At 30, mm. 37 years old, he's the uh, second or third highest run scorer so far in Shield this season. He's got, I think, 300 to his name and a, and a 50. So he's still in such great form. There are still people in Facebook asking for him to be... Back bit, in the side. Well, I mean... <laughs> Before everything got cancelled, but <laughs> yeah, um, him and Kawaja are the two that are still coming up a lot. And Phil Hughes is only two hundreds behind him in terms of, and that's with twelve extra years of cricket. Mm. That's just staggering. Yeah. Um, and like I, I always knew, you know, that Phil Hughes was a promising young player, but until getting ready for this podcast and actually sitting down and looking at his stats, it just staggered me how well, good his first class record he, was before. He, even stats aside, I mean, we we treated ourselves to a little bit of a, a session of of watching some of his innings before we recorded today, and we had a look at his debut hundred in South Africa and uh, his debut one day hundred against Sri Lanka. And then a little bit of a, a shield final that he played in. Yeah, that's just a joy to watch. Yeah. Some of the shots he played were outrageous. Just through the offside. He um, would murder anything on the offside. Yeah. He was don't, so good. Don't give him width. Uh. <laughs> Third man basically threw to straight if he got width. And he just laced into it. He yeah, was well, such yeah, a great player. What I watch. loved about watching it, he just would play shots that you just didn't think were possible. Like, how did he hit that ball? And the way he'd get his weight through the, like, stay leg side of the ball, because that was his game. He'd stay leg side of the ball. And 
I don't know the transference of his weight. And just, just yeah. yeah, he hit the ball so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one thing that we we noticed, especially against um, the South African in the South African game when he was playing against uh, a bowling attack that comprised of Stain, Morkel, Nintini, and Callis. Mm. Um, he just hit the ball really hard on the offside. Like, yeah, I I loved uh, the cover drive because he'd go down on on some, oh, yeah. some of the time he'd go down on one knee and. There'd just be so much momentum through the, the line of the ball. Um, yeah, just really good to watch. Like, like better than 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 an average sort of stylish player. Yeah, very, yeah. very. Like, almost almost as enjoyable to watch as someone like Brian Lara. Yeah. With that, that level of flamboyancy. He mm. was really, really fun to watch. Um, so some other notable things about him. So he was the... Uh, he debuted at 18 years old for New South Wales. Um, he's debuted... What was he's... I doing when I was 18? <laughs> I wasn't representing my state cricket, I can tell you that. I might have represented Lithgow. His, uh, his maiden first-class 100 was actually in a shield final against Victoria, which had Dirk Nanners, uh, yeah. Bryce McGain, Peter Siddle in it. Um, yeah. Went on and, and basically... It was in the second innings and he, he set up that final. It was 116 off 175. And he outplayed contemporaries like uh, Phil, Phil Jakes. Jakes and Simon Kadich. Uh, from there, so obviously he made his debut. We all know about his series in South Africa. So he started off with a, with a duck and then he re- came back in the first, second innings and <laughs> scored 75. I remember watching that, that first innings. And it was just the way he got out was just it looked really ugly. It was like what? Where did they get this guy from? Because it was just like a short ball, and he actually did really well to actually even reach it to nick it through. Yeah. And then the second innings, he he just went out and he he hadn't changed it. He he was just like, well, this time I'll just back myself to. To hit it. Yeah. To get it. Screaming with confidence. It was yeah. ridiculous. So he, he ends up scoring 75 and they come to the next test and he becomes the youngest player ever to score hundreds in both innings of a test match. 115 and 160. Yeah. Um, and from there he goes on and signs on to, uh, to play for Middlesex in England, knowing that the next tour that he's going to be on will be an Ashes tour. So in three matches he has... 574 runs at 143 for Middlesex. Staggering numbers. And he played in in three of the test venues. They had to, yeah, they had to pick him. Um, yeah. It was back when we were allowed to play. You know, Australians would regularly go over there and, and, and get a county side and, and dominate. You know, guys like Michael Duvenuto did that as well. Um, I think the biggest... The biggest shame, well, obviously not the biggest shame, that we can't kid ourselves. He, his friends and family obviously have, have have the biggest loss of actually losing Phil Hughes as a, a, you know, a friend and a family member. But as as fans of the game, the biggest biggest loss that I found hard to take was after the fact and all these Australian selectors, Mark Wall coming out saying that he was in back in the side, he'd made it back in. And John Inverarity was on record saying that this guy was going to be included in our... 2015 World Cup squad. That was the yeah. plans for him, and the plans uh, were for him to be a three-format player. And that's off the back of his. If you look at his List A stats. 
so he averages 47 opening, you know, in short form That's cricket. better than his first class stats. Um, and he's got a top score of 202 not out with eight for uh, list A hundreds. He's got a double hundred and a 50 over game. <laughs> Uh, and that's coming off. He ended up with so he, you know it was a, a bit of a shaky start, but it was come, starting to come along. He averaging thirty six in one day cricket with two uh, hundreds and, and four fifty. So you could really see uh, this was a guy that's, that's, that's game was good. starting to yeah. really come along, like uh, as a as a one day international player. Yeah. Um, so there's just so much promise that was just really starting to mm. to develop. And like I mean, let's talk about sort of what happened in the lead up to that because he'd been. He'd been dropped after the 09 Ashes. Yes, which I think, yeah. I still maintain, was not fair on Phil Hughes. So, Phil Hughes, there was all this talk about Phil Hughes being, you know, susceptible to the short ball and you couldn't really play him. And it might have been the case. I think it was overblown. He copped one of the best spells that I've seen from Freddie Flintoff at that point, just really peppering him. Yeah. But he'd still got a good maybe start. Maybe that one to Ponting. Yeah, in maybe. 05, like... <laughs> But yeah. um, he had a really good start in that game. He was about 36 or so off about 40-odd balls. He was looking relatively comfortable until that spell. Um, and he survived quite a deal of it. And he ended up, I think, flaying one to gully, I think. It wasn't even like a you know, rip a glove on the way through. He just, you know, he tried to bat his way out of it and ended yeah, up getting out. Yeah, that's what he did, you know. Um, <laughs> I think that was a big dismissal for him. But uh, the amount of runs that he scored through there almost... Yeah, definitely made up for it. But I think the big mitigating factor in him getting dropped from that 09 Ashes squad is Mitchell Johnson could, couldn't find the pitch in yeah. that series. And so Australia went, well, we want to keep Johnson because we know what he can do when he gets it right. He'll win us a game in a session. Mm. But we need to have another bowling option in case Johnson just doesn't, the, doesn't, doesn't get rid of the yips and we can't bowl him. Yeah. So they drop him in favour of Shane Watson. That's when he goes on that run of scoring a, a stack of 50s and cements himself at the top of the order. Yeah. Um, yeah, see, I always, I always felt that that was not a good long-term decision. Like, Shane Watson should have just been happy batting at six. That's where your all-rounder goes. Maybe, you know, if you're a really classy bat, maybe five. But he was never getting into higher than that in that uh, lineup no, because ben you had... Ben Stokes Pont- doesn't do that. Because Ben had- Stokes is a better player than, than Watson was. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that side at the moment that had uh, Ponting at three, Hussey at four, and Clark at five. So his natural spot was six. I think yeah. Marcus North played that role for that series. Mm. I remember right. Who I think scored a hundred in the, uh, or maybe two hundreds in that series. So it was a good series. But yeah, so that was the first, the first part there that um, brought Phil Hughes back out of the Australian side. Um, he was used as a reserve opener every now and then. You know, smattering of tests here and there. Uh, finally got another start. I think after Simon Kadich wasn't offered a contract. Ended up scoring um, All the drama a, a, behind that. a fourth innings 80-odd off 70 balls to win a game in New Zealand. Uh, he's also got a, a fourth innings 100 in Sri Lanka. So yeah. there was you know bits and pieces there. He kept getting found out and kept coming back to Shield Cricket and working on the things that they said he couldn't do. So he was, you know, wasn't good on the short ball. So he then brought a more leg side game in to help combat that. So glances, hooks and pulls, things like that. Which yeah. is really evident actually when you watch his um, one day international debut, how much more comfortable he was getting hitting the ball to the leg side. Yeah. Yeah, he played some really nice um I don't know what you'd call them. They're just really um, on drives, I suppose. What, what did uh, flicks? Uh, the, in the um, 
in the commentary we watch when we watch his one-day international hundred, I think uh, was Slater described it as a left-handed uh, Richie Richardson with the Gordon Greenwich, Gordon Greenwich, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. flick to the leg right. up, flick to the leg side. So yeah. he was adding things to his game, and he was he, he had a move from New South Wales to South Australia and yep. and played shield cricket In there. The footsteps and, of the Don. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and Nathan uh, Lyon. And, and really came into his own and, and, you know, really profitable seasons over in South Australia and really looked to shore up most parts of, of, of the weaknesses that he'd been found out as a young man and was coming back in as to the side at 25, looking a much more seasoned, a lot, much more well-rounded player. And mm. this is a man that already had, you know, three test hundreds to his name already. Yeah. And a number of 50s. And there were a lot of high 50s. I think he's got about four scores in, in the 80s as well. Yeah. Three or four scores in the 80s. So, so, so not far he, away from having 600s, really, mm, when you look at it. Mm. So then he starts that uh, Shield series with a, a double 100. Does he not? I believe so. A double 100. And then he has another game with a bunch of starts. Nothing does yeah. it. And then we come to the, the game against the, the G and he was... yeah. 67 or 63 I should say 63, 63 and, then, um, and then copped unfortunately copped that that bouncer yeah yeah what do you say about it there's not much oh, it's just like the injuries just, sustained just was 100, there's 100 cases reported apparently of the injuries sustained it's just a it's a freak accident and I really feel for uh, for Sean Abbott who would have been a pretty close teammate of Phil Hughes mm. when he was playing at New South Wales been around for for ages. Well, as soon as I mean, I have unfortunately seen the footage. Um, uh, you see the concern on their faces as soon as as soon as it happens. They, um, you know, there's there's Warner's in the slips. I, re- I remember vividly. Remember like Warner just kind of running out of the slips. Oh, that crushed Warner. I remember that's the the series against India after his funeral. So they had a lot of the tribute. I mean, every time they scored a hundred, or and they looked at the sky for that series for for Phil Hughes, and there was always that when you made yeah. it to sixty three, there was a bit of a thing. But Warner in particular, when we got to the SCG for the final, was it the final test of that series? I can't. I think it might have been the final test of that series. He made it to to sixty three, and he immediately went to the part of the ground where Phil Hughes mm. was hit and fell to the ground. And I think you know there was a slight stoppage in play as he sort of you know he was obviously emotional and in tears, and mm. so it certainly affected David Warner quite a lot. Michael Clark, I think we've I we've spoke, mentioned we've yeah. t- spoken about Clark before and how um just what a rock he was for the Australian cricket team and for the the Hughes family all through that ordeal. Yeah. Um, spoke at his funeral and it was if you haven't seen Michael Clark's speech at Phil Hughes's funeral I implore you to YouTube but it is really moving stuff yeah but yeah, it, it, sure. it was a death that was felt all over the world I mean yeah uh, New Zealand Pakistan were in the middle of a test series and they actually postponed day two they actually had a day off and then gave the, them an extra day so they yeah, just moved yeah. the and test I remember forward. they just like I think New Zealand were bowling and they would get wickets and they just weren't celebrating them. Yeah. They were just... I don't think a single bowl, a bouncer was bowled for the... I don't know if it was that day or the rest of the test, but yeah, there was a quite an extended period where they were definitely not bowling any bouncers. Yeah. Um, social media blew up with the put your bats out for Phil. So there was... Yeah. Um, 
uh, all across the world, there were people leaving their bats outside their front doors with their, you know, their, every, their club yeah, cap I mean, on them. That, that got everywhere. That was such a good idea. That was, Whoever came up with that. Well, they um, walked such out at the the test game, the New Zealand Pakistan one. They'd all all there were twenty two bats all lined up with mm. the team caps on them as they walked out. Um, England, I believe, are playing Sri Lanka in an ODI, and they dedicated the. Uh, that game to, to Phil. Um, Michael Clark, he wore um, a black armband basically for every game that he played after Phil Hughes died until he retired at the 2015 World Cup final. Yeah. I mean, it even reached... Phil um, Hugh Jackman was playing, I believe it was Boy from Oz. Cricket. <laughs> um, he was a boy from, boy from Oz in Broadway in New York, and he did the whole leave the... The bat out thing at, on stage on a Broadway stage did that. Yeah. Um, Elton I mean, John. They, they wouldn't have had a clue. clue what was I going suppose. on? <laughs> yeah. Elton John was performing in Munich, and he dedicated a performance of "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me" as a, a tribute to Phil Hughes. And Elton John's, I believe, a bit of a cricket fan as well. So. Yeah, yeah, massive cricket fan. Um. So he, he was a man that just everyone says that that he was just happy and full of life and smiling and just the nicest guy to get along with so you can just really tell from everyone that's spoken about him he was just one of those really genuine just good guys to have around the side I mean Michael Clark talks about all the time how he'd be out in the middle with Phil Hughes and he'd be you know struggling to score runs and he'd come down and he'd be talking about what's going on and Phil would turn around and go you should check out this bull that my dad got for our farm. It is awesome. Uh, and he's like, how are you talking about cows? We're facing like Dale Stone. <laughs> we'll put it in perspective, you know. <laughs> I like those moments where it's like, oh, you know, there's more to life than cricket. Yeah. We're playing it at a hugely professional and and uh, high-pressure situation, but... And it's a game. And you could tell he was well-loved. I mean, I think the entire town of Maxville just stopped mm. for the day of his funeral. I think there was over a thousand so his, people. His birthplace, Maxville, yeah. um, in the north of New South Wales. Yeah, north coast of New South Wales. Yep. Um, Prime Minister was in attendance. Um, they televised the funeral, I think. So you could attend the funeral via the Adelaide Oval and the SCG as well. Yeah. Uh, and see it there. Um, yeah, it's just such a far-reaching tragedy, and it was just going well beyond just cricket. It just, on all levels of... Obviously, there was the levels of losing a family member and a friend, and but the public, I mean, I can't think of too many moments. I think Mark Nicholas described it as Australia's Princess Diana moment, yeah. likening it to when Princess Diana was killed in the car accident. It just the levels of grief that the public felt for really a figure that isn't totally involved in anyone's life in any personal way, mm. but just the collective grief that we felt as a nation. Yeah, even people who weren't fans of cricket were, were doing tributes and, you know, musicians, I know, had like 63 not out on their guitars and stuff like that, that kind of thing. Yeah, Matthew Wade still has 408 on his cricket bat as a tribute to... Um, Phil Hughes as well yeah so we'll break it down we'll go from here what's your your favourite Phil Hughes innings that you've you've seen well I actually it's not one of the ones we've watched today um, I'm going to say it's it's the other hundred in ODIs um, that he played 
The one and it, it was 28, in, not out, I think it was. Yeah, it was at Bell Reeve. 138. Bell Reeve. And the main reason I, I like that one is because he hit this massive six that I think would have almost gone into the Derwent. Uh, it just <laughs> kept going. It was like a, a kind of like slog sweep. I can't remember who it was against, but um, I actually even just saw that that shot in a highlights package of bigger sixes. And yeah, I'm going to go with that one because yeah, I remember actually watching it live on the on the TV. How about you? I think my favourites my favourites probably got to be his debut hundred, but I th- against you know against South Africa, especially after you know not such a great start, but then just the. You know, this is South Africa in 2009. This is a very, very good side. It's got De Villiers, it's got Graves Smith, it's got Callis, it's got uh, Morkel, Stain, and Teeny. Like in at home, new guy on the block, and just the cavalier disregard he yeah, has for just... some of the best bowlers. <laughs> Cop this the, that South Africa's produced, and just the arrogance to play some of the shots that he he played, and mm. a, a being the new guy there, he was just there was. There was no timidness. There was no, let's just get myself in. It's like, no, this is how I play cricket. Um, you know, I if it's wide of off stump, I'm hitting it through there. I don't care. They've got, you know, three slips, a gully, a point. Like There's, there's a sweeper on the boundary. Like, I'm just, this is my, it's in my <laughs> slot and I'm going after it. Yeah. I do like, I think that on the flip side of that, that his best innings, which might come as a bit of a surprise, was actually his second last test he played for Australia, which was um, famously overshadowed by Ashton Agar. Yeah. So Ashton Agar made the 98 on debut, and we all talk about that. What a phenomenal innings for a number 11. But Phil Hughes was the guy at the other end to share in that 163 10th wicket partnership, which was a record at the time. And England were playing very, very well and got through our top order like it was nothing. So a very typical Australian top order collapse while playing in England. Phil Hughes batting in an unfamiliar position of six really held that innings together and got his way to 81 not out and really looked faultless. I can't really... I mean, he would have been furious with Ashton Agar. I know. Getting out and costing him... The number 11's got to hang in there for the number six, regardless (laughs) of whether he's on 90 or whatever. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Job is to be not out at the end. Um, But I think it's a very underrated innings, especially uh, considering... We all talk about Ashton Agar's heroics and getting Australia to a position where we could bowl to, and we very nearly won that test... Um, and it was only a James Anderson Pfeiffer on the last day that I think got it done. Was that that same test where Broad hit it to first slip? Or was that the test? I think after? it's the next test ah. he hit it to first slip. Um, Still hurts. But yeah, he looked so composed, especially because you know it's been the battleground of so many disappointments for for Phil Hughes. He's had so like he you know he was the 2009 series that he got dropped from when you could argue that it probably wasn't really his fault. Uh, if Johnson could actually figure out how to bowl in England, he probably would have had a much longer test career. And he's coming over here, the old enemy, the ones he's struggled against. Everyone says that he can't bat over in England. And then just this nice, composed, back-against-the-wall 80, which, you know, if he had partners with him, probably would have been 100 because he was looking really solid. So that's probably, if it wasn't his debut 100, that's another one. It's a, like a different tact. We got the out-and-out cavalier aggression that he had flailing these South African legends all across the park to, you know, compose, tough, gritty, mm. not giving my wicket away 
80 that just sometimes gets overshadowed over over Ashton Agar's brilliance. fireworks. <laughs> yeah. So yes, that's a, our bit of a tribute to to Phil Hughes and uh, what really what could have been. Yeah, uh, looking into some of the the stuff that he's achieved, especially as such a young man. You know, the averaging 62 in his debut season as an 18 year old for New South Wales. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever averaged 62 in any form. He he played A-grade senior cricket in his hometown at 12. His first ever game for Sydney grade cricket, he scored um, 141 not out. Uh, he, you know, youngest ever to score a double hundred, oh, sorry, 200s in an innings. Um, the, the youngest centurion since Doug Walters, the... Your first player to get an ODI day. You could just tell that all of the ingredients were there for this guy to be a really, really special player. Yeah. And he was a guy that, you know, he probably had some unfair things go his way in terms of selectors and selections. And you never yeah, heard no, anyone no saying that he was complaining about it or, you know, taking to the media to talk about how unfair it was or not getting a clear message. He just went, okay, and went back to his state. He scored as many runs as he could for his state. Worked on what needed to be worked on, and when he was there, he came back, did the best he could. A, a great loss to to Australian cricket and to world cricket. Now, yeah, we we lost a, a fantastic young man with plenty of potential, and, and we lost just a really good person from the sounds of things. Like, yeah. Unfortunately, never got the chance to meet Phil Hughes, but from everything that you hear from guys like Tom Cooper and Michael Clark and. David Warner and all these guys that really got in and got to know him, that he was just a great person to be around. Just uh, That'll wrap up our Phil Hughes testimonial episode. Um, feel free to jump on the social medias and just share your thoughts on, on Phil Hughes and what could have been or if there's any, you know, if you happen to have been in any of his games or watched any of his yeah. time at New South Wales. Anecdotes, memories, that'd be great. Um, so that'll do us for another episode. We'll hopefully be uh, all hands back on deck for the next episode. And um, I suppose we'll probably have to talk about how England and India are going. Mm. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're hopefully better, better we'll be talking that. about England going through and, and just the Goliath away from home efforts to secure <laughs> Australia a spot in the World Test Championship <laughs> final. Well... It'd be staggering if India then, like, having beaten us here, then lost at home. But it's cricket. Stranger <laughs> things have happened. Stranger things have happened. So from both of us here at Two Soups in the Gully, that's our tribute to Phil yeah. Hughes, number 408. Um, Thanks for hanging in there. It's good to remember these things, I think. It's important. And just as Michael Clark said, mate, you'll be 63 not out forever. Thanks very much, guys. Bye for now. Bye, guys. Over. Sports Social Podcast Network.